In many ways, I think this is an incredibly challenging gospel. The, the rich man and then Lazarus, the poor man outside his door. A couple of observations uh, about the parable. Um, initially, what strikes one when hearing it or reading it is the rich man has no name. The poor man is known to God. Lazarus is known to God by name. The rich man is not. This is significant. It's not just an oversight. It's a significant element to what the Lord is saying, that the, to be known by God by name is to have a certain intimacy with him, an intimate relationship. And so the, the poor man, Lazarus, had this, the rich man did not. Now, this is, this is really, really important for obviously for us today, but also because of the theology or the ideology of the time. It was thought that if you were successful, if you were rich, if you had good health, that this was a blessing and a gift, a reward from God for your fidelity. And if you were suffering, if you had uh, infirmity, if you were poor, that was a punishment from God rightly deserved. So either you have sinned or one of your ancestors have sinned. Now, think about that when, it, when we hear about the Lord's healings, because often he'll say, you might wonder, well, why does he say, get up, your sins are forgiven? Why does he just say you're healed? Because of this ideology at the time. So he is healing when he does so, but he's also releasing from them you know, the person, this understanding that they had sinned and were being punished. So the theology of Israel begins to turn. It begins to turn toward the end of the Old Testament with Job, but uh, certainly with the Lord Jesus, he really overturns that whole ideology. So in other words, if you're a rich man and you've got this poor man, Lazarus, outside your door, you know, it would be nothing to walk by and say, well, he deserves it. And, and not even necessarily being mean, which we would receive that as just being mean, but, but in a sense that, no, I don't want to get in the way of what God is justly and rightly doing in your life. You deserve that, and you need to suffer that punishment as long as God allows it. And so the, the rich man, you know, couldn't even be bothered as he walked by this man every day. In fact, you can imagine some of the resentment. I mean, the rich man probably has a nice home. And then here's this poor guy with sores and dogs licking his sores. And every day he's got to pass by this guy right outside his door. You can imagine the resentment and the, the things he probably, he might have even said directly to Lazarus, get a job, go somewhere else. Can't you be somewhere else? You're kind of an eyesore, etc. We can very well imagine that sort of dynamic taking place. And of course, then uh, they both die. And we're told that Lazarus essentially, you know, uh, goes to the blessed where he is uh, with Abraham and the prophets and he's receiving his reward. And although the word, the term isn't used, I mean, the, the rich man essentially ends up in hell where he's in torment. 
And the reason is because we're told, the reason is because the rich man received his reward in life and Lazarus did not. But I think that to unpack that a little bit more, we can understand that really the problem here was not that all people who have wealth are gonna go to hell. (laughs) That's horrible, right? I mean, why would God do that? That doesn't make any sense. The problem is that he did, the rich man did nothing to help Lazarus, right? And, and it couldn't have been more convenient in a sense. In one sense, it was inconvenient, but in another sense, it was very convenient right outside his door. I mean, the rich man probably even had servants he could have sent to give Lazarus some scraps and some food. Would have been pretty simple to make a difference in Lazarus. It's not even hard. He's right there. He did nothing. The rich man did nothing for him. Right outside his door. And so because of that, the rich man is not known to God. His wealth was not, in fact, a blessing from God. If it was a blessing from God, he would have been known to God. He would have had this relationship with God. Assisting those who are right outside our door, right in our midst, It uh, made me consider my previous assignment. I was up north, as many of you know, and uh, I took care of Williams, Ash Fork, and Seligman. Uh, And every weekend I'd have four masses and um, have to drive 120 miles. People say, Father, isn't it hard to say three masses a Sunday? And I say, nope. The worst thing I've got is that light on 67th, and I hate that light on 67th, but... (laughs) But the, it was tough, you know, all that driving and, and all the masses up north. But Ash Fork was a really, really special town. Some of the most beautiful people I've, I've ever known are in Ash Fork. But um, Ash Fork is known as sort of the flagstone capital of, I don't know, maybe the world or the country. And so they have a flagstone quarry. And um, nobody will do that job except for migrant workers. I mean, nobody will do the job. The, the townsfolk, like people would rather be on welfare than do that job. It's a terrible job. It's a horribly difficult job. And the conditions are, are really, really miserable. And so as a priest, this was really my first experience of having a fairly large, you know, proportionate, uh, large migrant community that, that I was ministering to. And... Um, I remember it, it, I was thinking about it with this gospel because it, it brought up all kinds of thoughts, you know, and feelings about this. Like, this is the first time, like, wait a second, they're not here legally. How do I deal with that? How do I, uh, you know, how am I going to minister to them? What am I supposed to say? Am I, you know, just all of the political things, the ideological things and all the rest. Um, and the more that I got to know them, not that I got to know them all, but the ones that I got to know, I, I found that, you know, there were a lot of husbands who were up here working. They didn't really want to be here. It wasn't a job you really wanted to do. And they, they spoke to me many times about, you know, missing their families. They, were, they were, hadn't seen their families for 10 years back in Mexico or south of the border. And they were distraught, many of them very distraught because they were separated. And I thought about, you know, how would I, gosh, what would it be like for me if I was living there? I'd probably be up here too. 
You know, and then I, I recognize that it brings to the fore, especially in Arizona, you know, all kinds of um, issues about the border and, and I, none of that is lost on me. But as a priest, you know, here was kind of the poorest in my midst. And um, I think it was really, really good for me. I, I don't know. I think I did a pretty good job, but, um, but it was a really good experience to encounter that reality um, and the reality of persons, not just an issue, right? But, but actually, you know, looking people in the face who, who have very little opportunity where they come from and then coming to America, like nobody else will do the job. We depend on their labor, especially for the, to keep the costs of, of goods low and services low. But then, you know, there's this tension, right? They, they want to go back and see their family and then they can't and they're, they're working a legitimate job, but somewhat illegitimately. Anyway, this is being recorded, so hopefully, I, you know, they're not going to get raided up there, but poor guys. But, you know, that's the thing, is they won't, because everyone knows. Everyone knows, and everybody knows that we need them to do that work. And so they're actually kind of protected. Anyway, that's a whole other issue. But encountering sort of people who are, are many times you know, seen in such a negative way, um, particularly in Arizona, um, being a border state, but encountering them and trying to do what I could and understand, understanding that, you know, the legality stuff aside, my call was to just be their priest and to try to do that the best I could. And I think that, I mean, that's just one example that came to mind with me. I'm not sure the examples that may come to mind for you you know, the Lazarus at your door, the Lazarus in, in your midst who very easily could be assisted in some way. Um, I, this community is incredibly generous. If you're new here, um, there's a long tradition well before me of, of assisting many different ministries. And we have a few things coming up. Certainly we, we support St. Vincent de Paul, which is a fantastic ministry uh, to, to support that assist the poor in our, in our midst. And uh, so we'll have another, coming up, we'll have another St. Joseph the Worker uh, collection. And then in, in December, we'll have a pro-life collect, collection for uh, First Way Pregnancy Center. So we have some different things coming up which are an opportunity for us to help. Now, maybe that's a little distant, right? I know other people will you know, take their kids down to Andre House and, and serve or, or get them exposed to, to other, other organizations, uh, St. Vincent de Paul downtown, etc. cetera. Um, it's difficult to say for sure, particularly what Christ is asking. Like right here for me in my life, what is he asking? Well, what he clearly is asking is that the poor who are known to him intimately should be known to us in some way as well. That we don't want to be like the rich man who just completely ignored those who really needed help. And therefore, he was unknown to God. But instead, we want to be people who, who are able to share what we have and in an appropriate way with those in our midst who need that assistance. And as our conscience moves us to do so, that we act on that. The danger here is if we don't act on that, 
we may not be known to God. And that's a frightening proposition. This is how much he cares for the poor. And if he cares about the poor that much, then we ought to as well. So that not only are we known to God in this life, but we're known to him forever in the next. Please stand.